0: Hello, everybody. So people have been commenting on my hair and I was like, yes, I actually had time today to do my hair. <laughs> um, so this week, um, Micah and Roy have been away at Hakwa a week for Micah's very first Vic Youth Summer Camp. And um, Roy doesn't actually have mobile service, um, but I also don't think he has any time. So I haven't heard much, but I think they're doing really well. I think um, Micah's having a lot of fun. I think Roy's gonna be exhausted <laughs> when he gets back, but they're coming back tomorrow. So Josh and I have had, it was really strange this week. Um, Josh and I really miss them. Like the house feels really empty. It's been very quiet. Like we'll have dinner and then we're like, now what do we do? And then we'll read a book. And then we're like, "No, what do we do?" (laughs) So we really miss the fun. I think I think Micah and and Roy bring the fun in our family. Um, But having said that, like a lot more time. It's like half the food prep, half the dishes. Like we usually do our our, we usually load our dishwasher like twice a day sometimes, especially if everybody's home. But this week I think we did it like once every three days. You know, less dishes, uh, less laundry. Anyways. But uh, looking forward to having them back tomorrow. Now, last week Celia shared about quests. And she shared about how quests require humility and courage, perseverance before the victory comes. And she challenged us to have a word or a phrase to kind of uh you know define our quest for the year. And I shared that uh, at the discussion time that my kind of quest for the year, my phrase is to be still. And it's from Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. Because it's really hard for me to be still. I haven't always been like this. I used to be quite a calm, relaxed person. I don't feel like you believe me. (laughs) Okay, maybe not completely relaxed, but I was more relaxed than I used to be. I remember back in uni, my friends described me as cool as a cucumber. Okay, That's how I used to be but somehow over the years as responsibilities grow have grown and you know life happens and you know you just i think as you get older you just kind of realize that um you just can't and uh, with that you know i became a lot more type a a lot more high strung um and i kind of over the years had this motto of if i can just get more things done then i can relax but the problem is Right. There's the to do list is always growing. So you never actually get to the relaxed part. <laughs> and so then, you know, I'll be on the beach like last Saturday, you know, after church service, um, our family we went to the beach. And so the kids are, you know, in the water. They're having a great time. Rory like blew up the inflatable a kayak and and, you know, we're all on the kayak and like the sun is setting and I'm thinking, what are we going to eat for dinner? You know, should we, should we should we have noodles? Should we do this? And then tomorrow, you know, they're going to have to leave. We're going to have to pack. Like, I can't stop, right? Even when Roy and I are on a date, right? We'll be, like, having a date, and I'm like, so this week, you know, we have to do this, and we got to arrange this, and the pickup. And Roy's like, whoa, like, can we not talk about work or the kids? And then I'm like, you know, like, I can't stop. So I'm just, like, thinking about it in my head. So I recognize this is not healthy. So like I said, my quest for the year is to be still. And um, Joshua and I have been doing some Bible journaling, and one of the passages that um, we were journaling was about Jacob. And as I was reading about the story of Jacob, ah, oh, the story, his personality resonated with me so much, and so I wanted to share um, some of that learning with you today. So Jacob, who was Jacob. Jacob was born around 4,000 years ago in the southern part of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel, to parents Isaac and Rebecca. And he was born to them in their old age. For 20 years, Isaac and Rebecca couldn't have children. And then finally, Rebecca's pregnant with twins. Um, and in the womb, like, the boys were fighting over. It was just, I don't know. Um, what it would be like to have twins. We actually have twins here today, so maybe Deborah can tell us later what it feels like. But um, Rebecca was perplexed, like, what is happening? And God actually told her, you have two babies in your womb, right? Daisy for ultrasound. And he was saying um, what the younger one is actually going to end up serving the older one. So even from birth, right, even inside the womb, Jacob was struggling, striving, fighting, right? Jacob was never still. He was a very intelligent, very diligent, very capable individual, but he couldn't keep still. He couldn't wait. He time and time again tried to control things and manipulate things and do things to keep bad things from happening to him. Even when he was coming out of the womb Look at what, how he was holding on. In Genesis 25, verses 24 to 26, it says that when the time came for Rebecca to give birth, there were twin boys in a room. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named, named him Esau, which means hairy. After this, he, his brother came out, so this is Jacob, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So it's almost like they were trying to struggle to see which one could come out first. And Esau comes out and Jacob's right, not letting go, still wanting to grapple. And so he was named Jacob. Now, Jacob means heel catcher. But it has the implication of being a supplanter, a deceiver. So Jacob and Esau come out of the womb wrestling for control. Now Esau was a very impetuous man of action, but Jacob was a master manipulator. And they grow up, and one day Jacob um, is cooking some lentils, you know, stew, smelling pretty good. It's dinner time, and along comes Esau after a long hunting trip, and he is ex- he's exhausted, but he's also famished. So he comes to Jacob, and he's like, "Hey, let me let me have some of that soup, right? Let me have some of that lentil stew. I'm starving." Now, normally you would say. Sure, here it is, but not Jacob. Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. You hungry? You want this too? I'll give it to you in exchange for your birthright. Now, in that time, the birthright was um, basically, you know, all the children would get the, not all the children, actually the sons would get the inheritance, but the firstborn son would get double the inheritance. So that was his birthright as the firstborn Esau. And Jacob is basically saying, if you want this lentil stew, sell me your birthright. Now Esau, I'm sure the kitchen wasn't that far away. <laughs> Could have made it a bit further maybe and, and, and said, no, nah, it's not worth it. But Esau's personality being what it was, he's like, hey, if I die of hunger, I'm not going to get my birthright anyway. So sure, I'll sell you my birthright. Now give me that bowl of stew. Does Jacob give him the stew at this point? Nope. He basically says, hold on, swear to me. And if he had a parchment, he would have written up a contract and had him sign first, right? This is Jacob controlling. This is Jacob scheming. And his own brother, who's hungry. And Jacob's saying, I will give it to you, but if you swear to me first. And he's like, all right. So Esau swears. He promises. They, you know, shake on it. And then finally, Jacob gives him the food. A few years later, when Isaac is getting really old, he's blind in his old age. And Isaac says to Esau, hey, before I go, I want to give you your blessing. So not only did the firstborn get the birthright, double the inheritance, but they got a special blessing. To go, because um, the patriarchal, you know, leader of the family kind of has to take care of everyone else. And so he's, he's about to pass on that mantle to his firstborn son. And he's about to bless him to take care of the next generation. So Esau's like, all right, you know, I will go hunt, bring back some food for you so that we can have this nice little ceremony. And while Esau is away, Jacob sneaks in, dresses up like Esau, right? tries to like put on his best Esau voice and he tricks his father into giving him the blessing instead. So Jacob has taken Esau's birthright and he's taken Esau's blessing. You can imagine Esau is furious and their mother Rebecca overhears Esau planning to kill Jacob. Not now, Esau says. When once our father is dead, I'm going after Jacob. So Rebecca hears this, and she tells Jacob, "You, you need you need to get out of here." And so she tells uh, Isaac, "Hey, let's let's send Jacob away to get married. I have to find a good woman in my hometown." And so Isaac agrees, and Jacob leaves his home, not sure when he can ever come back. So he goes on this journey. It's quite a far journey to go on foot all by himself from the bottom of Israel there all the way top to Haran, where Rebekah is from. And while he's on this journey, God actually gives him a dream. And he reassures Jacob that he's going to bring him safely back home one day. Now, I want you to keep track of how many times God gives Jacob this reassurance. Okay? So this is the first time. All right? So I want you to keep account for me. God appears to Jacob, gives him this beautiful vision of angels going up and down, um, saying, I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to go with you. So Jacob goes to Haran, he meets his relatives, long story short, he ends up working for his uncle daughters in exchange for 14 years of labor. But Jacob isn't one to be still, so after that period has ended, Jacob negotiates his wages, and he and Laban spend the next six years power-struggling going back and forth, changing wages, trying to outplay each other. And then finally, after 20 years away from home, God comes to Jacob and says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. All right, so what is this at? God has reassured Jacob how many times? (laughs) Two times. So first, in Bethel, with their dream, uh, and then here, the second time, he says, I will be with you. All right. Leave, I'm going to make sure you keep trying. Okay? This is the second one. All right. So Jacob takes his family. He takes the flocks. And they actually know that Laban doesn't want them to leave. Because thanks to Laban, it's just because they're gone. He pursues them for seven days, right? Catches up with them. And then Laban says to Jacob that he actually wanted to hurt him. But that God basically appeared to Laban and said, don't mess up Jacob, right? Leave him alone. And so then, how many times now, Levi, that God has shown that he's with Jacob? Thanks. Okay, three times. Well done. So Laban goes back home. Now Jacob is on his way home, well and truly, right? Well and truly. And then it says in Genesis 32, verse 1 and 2, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Menhanayim. Thanks, Levi. See your hands up four times, okay? Four times now. Dream, direct speech. Um, you know, he spoke to another through Laban, and now through angels. God has reassured Jacob, I am with you. But it's not enough for poor Jacob, poor anxious Jacob. He's worried about Esau, despite 20 years, still being angry with him and still wanting to take his life. So once again, Jacob tries to control the situation because that's what he does best. He says to um, the messengers, he sends them to Esau and he instructs them, this is what you're supposed to say to my Lord Esau. He like this. Your servant, Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle, sheep, and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So Jacob is saying, I- I'm your servant. You're my Lord. Because remember the blessing he stole and the birthright, right? Like when he stole all those things, he's supposed to be the pa- patriarch of the family. But he's trying to let Esau know, no, no, no. Like you're still a leader. I'm not I'm not coming back to take any." He gets back the message that when the messengers returned Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Okay. This is, this is not what he was looking forward to hearing. 400 men are with Esau. In great fear, and d- he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group that is left may escape. He is terrified. Yes within 400 men, 400 men, he had seen, but he's like 400 men, and he's terrified. (coughs) Then he does, like I said, let me set up a plan. So he separates the traveling groups into two groups, and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Jacob was a very wealthy man. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to the servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks aught, I will pacify him with all these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Here's Jacob, right? Carefully crafted words. Carefully packaged gifts, you know, the right strategies of how much paces between each camp. But he's still anxious. He sends his family and possessions and servants across the river Jabbok. And then Jacob remains all alone. He's way too anxious to sleep. And perhaps he's praying. It's dark. And all of a sudden he feels a hand on his shoulder. And thinking it's an enemy, maybe an assassin sent from Esau, he immediately starts fighting this stranger with all his strength and might. Now, the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip wrenched as he wrestled with a the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This story is... Is very perplexing, right? I don't know about you, but when I read it, there's a lot of questions. Okay, Jacob's hip. Why doesn't Jacob ask him for a blessing? And why does the man ask Jacob for his name? And why does he change his name to Israel? And why doesn't he tell Jacob his name, right? So many questions. So let's tackle them. Who is this man? We never actually find out his name. But there are clues in the text to tell us that he is actually not just a man. First of all, he has the power to dislocate Jacob with a quick movement. And Jacob says at the end of his experience, I have seen God face to face. Right? And so it turns out that this man is actually God himself. So why are they wrestling? I picture God placing his hand on Jacob. Right? God had sent uh, a dream. He had sent visions. He had sent angels. But because Jacob is still sick, and he puts a hand on Jacob, but Jacob, on defensive and on edge, that instead of wondering, could this be uh, actually God, right, who's been sending me all these reassurances, he immediately thinks this is an enemy and starts fighting him. And I imagine God at first, you know, when Jacob's like wild arms are like failing towards him, kind of holding him at bay. Right. But then he's like, all right, you want to fight? Let's fight. Right. You want to you want to wrestle? Let's wrestle. The Hebrew word translated wrestle here actually only occurs here in the entire Old Testament. But the reason why um, English translators say wrestled is because the root word has to do with dust. They're getting bedusted, and so they're kind of picturing grappling, right, wrestling. And the word also is very similar to a Hebrew word for embrace, which is why they said wrestled, because, you know, have you ever seen wrestlers? They kind of look like they're having a very awkward, very uncomfortable hug, right, but like... You know, they're, they're, um, they're trying to get control. So that's what's happening here. God trying to hold Jacob, trying to keep Jacob together, and Jacob throwing his arms around, trying to, trying to manipulate control, trying to gain over God. And I think this went on for a while, right? Because this is the middle of the night, the day, the day is about to come. And the question is, why doesn't God just tell Jacob who he is? I like how Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says, God meets us at whatever level he finds us in order to lift us to where he wants us to be. To Abraham the pilgrim, God came as a traveler. To Joshua the general, he came as a soldier. Jacob had spent most of his adult life wrestling with people, Esau, Isaac, Laban, and even his wives, so God came to him as a wrestler. And then as they're wrestling and it's almost morning, God says, God's like, you know what? That's enough. And then it, it says he touched him in the socket of his hip. God punched him in the groin. Okay. That's basically what happened. God punched him in the groin. He, he hurt him where it hurts. And you would think that at this point that Jacob would let go, but even then Jacob will not let go. Jacob realizes in that moment, I am not fighting a normal human being because he is putting all his strength in mind and he has no, you know when like you're fighting someone who's so strong and you know you're not getting anywhere, right? And so Jacob's like, this is not a normal human being. I am like using all my strength and I can't, I'm barely moving this guy, right? And the moment he gets, he gets punched in the groin, he realizes, okay, and his hip is dislocating. He's like, this is this is, this is, this is supernatural. And at that point, Jacob, stubborn Jacob, grimacing in pain, but still using all his strength and wits to get ahead, says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And at that moment, I imagine God looking at Jacob. Poor, struggling Jacob. And he does something that he does in the New Testament as well, where he'll ask a question, right? He'll ask a question. And the question he asks here is, what is your name? Napi doesn't know. But get what is his name? Hunter, manipulator, manipulator, heel catcher. In that moment when he's answering what his name is, he's basically acknowledging, yeah, God, this is who I, this is who I am. I'm a heel catcher. I'm a I'm a wrestler. I, I'm a, I'm a supplanter. I'm never satisfied, right? I'm, I always want more. I, I want to have control. I want to manipulate. I want to scheme. I want to get ahead. His body is broken, and now his heart would have been broken as he realized the full weight of his character and the choices that have led to this moment. Because he knows that 20 years ago, he did the wrong thing by stealing his brothers, taking advantage of his brother, And stealing his birthright, taking advantage of his father, and stealing the blessing. And so when God asks him, What is your name? He's giving Jacob an opportunity to realize, Yeah, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And I'm at the end of myself. God is helping Jacob realize that his struggles have not just been with others and not just been with God, but with himself. Jacob has always been his own master. He tried to be the master of his destiny by by manipulating and, and taking opportunities and using his cleverness and his strength to get what he wanted, to pull one over on his brother, his father, his uncle, but it hasn't worked out so well. He got exiled from his homeland. His father in law cheated him into marrying two women. His wives actually made him marry two others. He's actually been manipulated himself and deceived himself. By trying to control his life, he had lost control. But he was struggling, wrestling, and never at peace. Meanwhile, God had said, "How many times, Levi? How many times has God assured Jacob that He's with him?" <laughs> so, dream, vision, angels—five times God is letting He's been with you. But Jacob just couldn't let God be the master of his life. A.W. Tozer said, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has friends. You cannot have two masters. You are either the master of your own life and destiny, or you have said to God, God, you be Lord of my life. There's only two choices. Only after Jacob has confessed, I am Jacob, right? I am deceiver. I am supplanter. I am this Person, I have this weakness, only after he has confessed his pride and his sinfulness is he ready now to receive God's blessing. And what is that blessing? The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God says, in your surrender, you have victory. Scholars have not agreed on what Israel actually means. I mean, you know, they know what it means literally, but what does it mean together? It can be translated as the one who struggles with God, the one who prevails with God, or the prince of God, or it can even be flipped around to mean God prevails, God-empowered prince, or the God-mastered man. But all of these things are better than the word Jacob. He's no longer the heel grabber. He's now the God grabber. And then Jacob asks God to tell him his name. And God replies, why do you ask my name? I kind of imagine God saying this to be like, hey, Jacob, don't you know who I am? <laughs> why are you asking me for my name? And then God blessed him there. right? And Jacob called this place um, Penuel because he saw God face to face and his life was spared. But here's the thing, as the story ends, as the sun is rising, Jacob is limping. He doesn't look like a winner. He looks like a loser, right? He looks like he lost the match. Wrestling with God, he had reached the end of himself. But even though he looks like he's lost, Jacob is now willing to face his brother. Jacob has overcome his fears. Jacob now believes that God is with him. And so, yeah, Esau's coming with 400 men, but Jacob, all alone now, limps towards his brother, willing to face him. And the Bible says that Esau sees his brother limping towards him, and Esau runs to Jacob, embraces him. And this is the second time that word, in that similar word, is used, right? Within the same day, Jacob has embraced God in a very... Strugg- you know, that struggle for power, and now he embraces his brother Esau, and the two of them weep. The two of them weep. For 20 years of anxiety, 20 years of hostility, 20 years of bitterness. What or who are we fighting? It turns out that God is not against us. He's already on our side. We don't have to keep asking him to bless us. We don't have to keep asking him to be with us. He's already with us. Have we accepted this, or are we still struggling to believe? Are we still working so hard to control and to be the master of our lives, but find ourselves exhausted from the effort? Can we be still and wait for God's blessings, or are we rolling in the dirt, getting disjointed? What would have happened if when God put his hand on on Jacob's uh, shoulder, Jacob said, ah, it's you, God. And he could have spent the night having a conversation with God and being at peace instead of fighting him. We think that if we really try hard at something, it'll happen. But someone once said, practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you do the wrong thing over and over again, it doesn't magically become right, right? This is something that I tell Joshi when he practiced the piano. If he makes a wrong make, but then he keeps playing it over and over again with that one mistake. And I'm like, no, you actually have to go and fix that because now you know the song wrong. And for the rest of your life, you're going to play that in that way because you get used to doing the same wrong thing over and over again. We don't have to do more and try harder and be better. Instead, God says, be still realize your limitations realize that you're jacob right whatever your weaknesses are whatever your sins are whatever your failures are realize that and then learn to trust me he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you see, the yoke it requires surrender. It requires a willingness to be to be partnered together with God. But that is how we find rest. It's the great Christian paradox that by letting go you gain, that you that you receive by giving, and that you're blessed by being broken. Matthew 16 verses 24 and 25, Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciples must design themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find By letting go, we get a new identity, a new name, a new way forward. One of my favorite movies is Finding Nemo. Has anyone seen it? Okay, good. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm about to do a little bit of a spoiler. So Nemo is this clownfish living, um, and, and put in a fish tank in Sydney. And his father, Marlon, is, um, a very anxious dad. He's a single dad because his wife and all the other eggs had gotten eaten by a barracuda in the first two minutes of the movie, which was like horrifying for me as a young person. But anyway. So then, um maybe that's how I'm scared of fish. Okay, anyway, so the Barracuda, you know, has has left only Nemo, and Nemo is slightly injured, and so Nemo has a gimpy fin. And Marlin raises Nemo in great anxiety. And um they hardly venture out of the little sea anemone, and Marlin is like, you know, Nemo, don't go there, Nemo, be careful. And he's just he's just a very anxious dad. And there's this what happens is once Nemo gets taken. Marlin has to leave his comfort zone, and he's 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 on this quest to find his son, and he's accompanied by Dory, a blue tang fish with very, with short-term memory loss. She's optimistic and adventurous, and Marlin finds her very annoying, but she proves proves to be invaluable in their journey. And there's a particular scene where they're inside of a whale, and they got there because for the very first time, Marlin lets Dory. Make a decision. Usually, he takes advantage of her gullibility and her short-term memory, boss, memory loss. And usually, Marlin manipulates her and makes all the sh- decisions. But there is this one time where Marlene finally allows Dory to make a decision, and it ends up getting them inside this whale. So he's very upset. He's very frustrated. And we're gonna watch a four-minute clip, and um, live stream people will be back in four minutes, <laughs> and um, so we'll we'll show the minutes, and then I'll continue. The image that I had in my 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 head all week long as I was thinking about the topic of and my quest of being still. That you know I'm I'm hitting and striving and struggling and exhausting myself out because I don't trust. Well, for Marlon it was because he doesn't trust Dory, but for me it's because I don't trust that God has me in His hands and that He's got His plan and that I don't have to strive so hard. There's um. We hold tight because we don't want to lose control. And when life happens with its chaos and uncertainty and we lose control, we're either in panic or despair like we just saw Merlin be. But we're actually not alone. In Isaiah Isaiah 41, um, verses 8 to 10, God says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, You descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Whatever challenges come our way, we are not alone. God is with us. And you know, to the shepherd, David god came to him like a shepherd and we have that beautiful psalm that is very well known psalm 23 and recently um, a friend of mine she did this illustration that i found really helpful so i need four volunteers so four people quick come on up zaki come i need three more okay levi come two more don't be shy two more volunteers please quick quick all right josh you want to come all right. I need one more. One more. Come on. All right, Bron. Thanks. All right. So I, all, all you have to do is stand where I ask you to stand. Okay. So we're going to read Psalm 23 and it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So let me ask you, if someone is guiding you, where are they? excellent so since you answered correctly zaki you're going to be in front okay and then just stand there then it says even though i walk through the darkest valley i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me so if someone is with you where are they besides so josh you stand here and levi you stand right here okay thank you next You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If something is following you, where are they? Okay, so Bron, if you can stand behind me. So that means when I walk, I'm going to go one step that way, okay? If I go one step this way, everyone follow? Okay, all right. And if I go one step that way, everyone follow? One step back (laughs) and one step forward. Ah, amazing job. Let's give a hand to all my volunteers. You can go back to your seat. Go back to your seats. God is saying through this psalm, he is with us, in front of us, next to us, behind us. We are surrounded by God's comfort and his guidance and his protection, right? He is with us on all sides and so for those of us who are holding on so tight worrying that if we let go we're going to be alone i'm here to remind us we're not alone we struggle with ourselves and others trying to win but god invites us to let go to follow him and enjoy his blessings to walk through the challenges and the nights with his comfort to know that he's got our backs with his goodness and love until our journeys are complete until our quests are done and even then beyond into eternity, God is with us. Please bow your heads for prayer. Father God, thank you for the story of Jacob that shows us that even though we fail so many times to trust, you provide us reassurances over and over and over again. Thank you for the reminder that you're with us always and that of our future, We don't have to regret our past. We don't have to fear what's around us in our current circumstances because you have us. You've surrounded us with your kindness and your love. And you give us strength and courage to face the Esau's in our lives. Father, I pray for all of us here and those watching and listening that as we face 2024, you'll give us courage and hope to let go of the things that we're struggling so hard for and instead to rely on you and to trust that in you all things will work together for good. And so we thank you for your love and kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.